All right. Thank you, Dick. Uh, yeah, so to, to let you know, in terms of the, the SBC, there are, um, I, I think there are, there are five of us who are going. So myself and Becca, uh, John Strickland, uh, Sid Eilertson, and uh, Hugh Howard, I believe. Uh, so I think the, there are five, at least, that, that I, so these are the ones I know are going to represent us. As of uh, the end of the week, there were 16,000 registered messengers. Um, to put that in perspective, that would make it the fourth largest at this point, Southern Baptist Convention. There were three others. We've, in fact, we talked about one of them in our, in our little history lesson about the SBC, so Dallas being the largest ever. It was at 46,000, which I think still stands as the largest parliamentary meeting uh, in history, 46,000 people. San Antonio then was uh, 26,000, then Atlanta, there was 19. They, they are, there is the possibility this could shoot up over 20,000 people by the time it's all said and done. So, um, you know, already I think that is, that is a good sign. Just like with anything, any kind of election, I think the general belief is the higher the turnout, the better chance conservative causes win. I think in general that seems to be the case. And for sure that has been the case in the SBC. When messengers turned out, it, it always benefited those who were trying to halt, arrest, or reverse what was happening. Uh, if you keep up with, with the news at all and you've heard much about the fallout from Russell Moore, uh, so-called so-called leaked letters. I don't know if you, if you all have not kept up with this, it's all right. Maybe at some point I'll talk about it. Um, it. That also is just a mess of stuff. But he was the head of the Ethics and Religious Liberties Commission who quit to take a job at UnChristianity Today uh, and um, no sense of Christianity Today. And, and to become the, a public theologian, he also has joined a church in Nashville, pastored by a guy named Ray Ortland. They do baptize infants. So the head of an SBC agency, the next church that he goes to, fundamentally disagrees. Now, I mean, I, there's a lot of people out there I respect and listen to, you know, Presbyterians uh, in particular, but to, join, but to join that, to join that church. Uh, so perhaps he was not as committed to Baptist distinctives as he said. Because believers' baptism by immersion, like it's in the name, all right? So that's, you know, what is distinctive about Southern Baptist? Well, our view of baptism is right up there on the top of the list. So the fact that he could just jump ship so quickly uh, and become a part of a church that has a different ecclesiology uh, says something. Um, I think it also says something that you have a number of, um, of articles being written, a lot of people coming out in support of him that you and I would never consider friends of the faith. That tells you something. Um, and, uh, and so this is going to be an issue at the convention. I don't know in what way, because he won't be there. I mean, he's done. He's done. He's left. He started his new job. It'll be the interim president of the ERLC who will have to give a report of the ERLC. So that should be interesting. There's no doubt in my mind they scheduled that report for 4 o'clock on Wednesday. Do you know when the convention ends? 5 o'clock on Wednesday. So way back, way back, they knew this was going to be a problem, and they scheduled it then. There's no doubt. Because they don't have, there's not a requirement of when things get scheduled. 
Uh, that is the program, uh, the, the Committee on the Order of Business does this. And, and so that's on purpose, because a lot of people will be gone. Uh, and so we'll, we'll see what comes of that. Uh, but the fact that there have been leaked letters indicating Russell Moore's uh, concern about the, the cover-up of sex abuse in the convention that he said was happening in 2020. What year is it? 2021, right? You know, he wrote a book called Courage to Stand in the, during all of this. So he's had a letter and supposed recording since 2020 indicating what he believes to be, what he has argued, is a cover-up in the SBC on sexual abuse. And yet, the convention's lead ethicist for a year and three months said nothing about it. So you tell me who's the snake. The snake is Russ Moore. That's who the snake is. I'm telling you, nothing better could have happened. Actually, something better could have happened. We could have fired him five years ago. That would have been better. However, this is, this is a good thing. And to see the Washington Post write an editorial about him, nearly praising him as a saint, I'm telling you, Southern Baptists, thank you, Lord, that he's gone. That's all I need to know. And the other thing you should know then about the SBC, Russell Moore has also come out against, in particular, one of the four men who's running for president. His name's Mike Stone. Russ Moore has come out hard and aggressive against him. Guess who I'm going to vote for? It's all I need. It's all I need to know. No, they will not be able to re-vote on number nine. That's not an option. What they could do is one of two things. You, You could make a motion to repeal it. Uh, I, I, I would argue that does nothing. So instead, there will be a replacement resolution for this year. And that, that will come up. Just so you, you know, there's already a plan uh, where I'll, I'll be out of town in, in a couple of weeks, as I've already said. So it won't be next Wednesday, but two weeks from this Wednesday, uh, we will give a report on it. If you would like to watch it, you can. You can go to SBC Annual Meeting. You could Google it. It's going to show up at sbc.net. It's going to show up at sbcannualmeeting.com. You could also go ahead and go to that website now, sbcannualmeeting.com. I think it's .com. Maybe it's .net. Anyway, you'll get there. Um, It will give you the order. So it'll give you the program for Tuesday and Wednesday. Because you may not be interested in watching all of it, but there will be elements that will be important, like introduction of motions, election of officers, um, the resolutions committee, their stuff will happen on Tuesday afternoon. So if you, you, could, you, could watch, you could also watch it after the, after the fact, but you could watch it live if you want. So uh, it... it, it it is going to be quite, quite an event, uh, there's no doubt. It is going to be quite an event. Not really sure what to expect, uh, but, um, but do covet your prayers and covet your prayers for the convention and uh, what, what will come of it. So tonight, though, we jump back in to our State of the SBC. And what I'll do at the end of this, if you have questions about the SBC, the convention itself, I'll answer those. If you, just about what, you know, those of us who are going to be going, if you want got some questions. I'll leave a few minutes to to answer those. But I want to continue our discussion of CRT and intersectionality. We started this last week, uh, gave a definition of it. I gave you some history and background to it. 
It, it is important to understand where it comes from. Now, it comes from social sciences. It comes from Marxism. I, I mean, it is, it is the grandchild of Marxist thought. And as much as people in the SBC who are trying to cover this kind of stuff up want to say they're not Marxist, it's not Marxist, even the creators of it gladly take the label. Those who created CRT gladly take the label that this is Marxist ideology, socialist. They they do it on purpose. I mean, this is what they believe. They're not hiding anything. Those who have come up with CRT are not hiding anything. They say exactly what they want, what they expect from society. There's there's no doubt what they are attempting to do. Um, And so the, the basic argument is that rather than understanding society from a traditional point of view, and that is the basic ways in which people interact with, uh, with one another, CRT is designed to dig beneath the surface of social life, to uncover the assumptions, and keep human beings from in- flourishing. And, and here's then how it applies to critical race theory in particular. What that means is there is an entire way of looking at the world that divides everybody up into one of two groups, oppressor and oppressed. And how you experience the world depends on where you line up in that group. And so in order to understand how society works, you need to understand how the oppressors are working and how the oppressed are dealing with this. And, and, and that the entire system is set up all of our system, and this in particular is about the United States. I mean, this, this started in the United States, critical race theory, and how the United States legal system was working in particular, though it's now applied to economics and uh, education and finance and all other kind of realms of society. And so the, the, you know, the argument being that, all, that the oppressors have set up a system intentionally to support the oppressor and keep the oppressed oppressed. So really what you're doing is you're trying, as a CRT proponent, you're trying to give both groups of people tools to help them see their place, to, to enlighten those who are oppressed and show them what is happening to them, and, that, and then those who are doing the oppressing, you know, to show them then what they are doing so that this can then be corrected. So there's fundamental assumptions and a fundamental worldview going on. This is how you understand people, how the world is working. Now, with not trying to jump ahead here, but I would point out on your links, the second one, is a really helpful short overview of critical race theory. Ten-ish minutes-ish, six minutes, Dennis? Yeah, all right. That was sent to me. Uh, uh, I appreciate Dennis doing that. And, and it's, it's really helpful. There's like fun little graphics uh, in it, right? So, because if you go looking for this stuff, you can find lectures that are hours long. Now, if that's your thing, let me know, all right? Uh, I'd be glad to send those along to you as well. This one, though, is helpful. Six minutes, it, it breaks down the very fundamental elements of what CRT is and already then reveals why this is um, antithetical to biblical Christianity, all right? So you w- want to take advantage of that. All right, before we jump into the rest of this, any questions left over from last week?
Again, if this is your first time exposed to critical race theory, intersectionality, it's overwhelming. It's like drinking from a fire hose. And because now it has become such a thing over the last year with, with at first, Trump um, forbidding it from being taught uh, and used and required in government agencies, which would have been, was the right way to go, to it now being opened back up, federally speaking. But you've got a number of states. I want to say there's like 19 of them. That have, that have also come out and said that, that have forbidden the use of CRT uh, in, in training sta- statewide. All right, so that's, that's good. Um, but boy, you, just, you hear now it's just become the thing. Everywhere you turn, it's critical race theory, which is fascinating because it was some no-name, nobody, unable to think sociologist from the 80s. It's really the original works that were written are horrible. And I, and I don't mean because of the theory. I mean just the way they're written. Like these people want, you're supposed to believe they're academics. Now there's a lot of liberal, rank, crazy progressive liberals who are very good writers. The people who came up with CRT are not one of them. They're, they're not among that group. The, the, the sources that are referenced, they're sparse. Uh, it's largely anecdotal, but that's That's part of the thing. You know what's so frustrating about CRT? Research and facts don't matter. You know what matters the most? Tell me your story. Tell me your story. Your story becomes a source of truth. What has happened to you? That's why I call it anecdotal. Any any well-respected system of logic and proof and argumentation rejects that out of hand, except this one. So, to, to say you need research, no, no, they don't need research. They just need stories. Stories of people who say they've been oppressed, whether they have been or not, regardless of the level. So, that's why it just gets so muddled. And so, if you feel like, man, I, don't, I can't get my, hand, my head around this, all right, welcome to the club. It's the nature of this thing. It's an odd beast for sure. All right, yeah, I know a number of folks, uh, and again, I get no kickback from Vody Balkum unless he'd just like to come preach. Uh, that's all I ask if he's watching. I'm sure he's not. Um, but his book, Fault Lines, I just can't, I cannot recommend another book higher than that one on this subject. It's, it's as good as it gets. Um, again, like I said last week, because you can't argue with his logic, and at the same time, you can't argue with his story. It's what's brilliant about the book. Because the first two chapters of the book, he gives us his story. And the rest of the book is a lesson in apologetics and argumentation and logic, because that's what he's very good at. So they're really left in a conundrum, right? Uh, how do we deal with this guy? And that there's going to be no way to, to deal with him other than to just ignore him. You'll also notice on your links, I've given you the top, the very first link is a Vody Balkum sermon, preached at Coral Ridge. Um, is social justice biblical justice? Social justice versus biblical justice. Very good. But that's nearly an hour long, but it's very good. And if you've not ever watched Vody, listen to him preach. He's very engaging, uh, very easy to listen to. Hour goes by like that. He's funny. He's smart. Um, so I, I just I couldn't commend him enough to you. Uh, Yeah, oh, yeah, yes, yeah, and he's very clear, that's right, um, and um, you, you, he gets, the, the point is clearly state, stated, he gets straight to it, there's, yeah. 
if we could wait to the end, all right? All right, so let's keep going then. Critical race theory. I've given you some other words that need to define if you want to understand the theory and understand then how it's operating in the SBC, because you see this language pop up. Because here's what's not going to pop up in the SBC. You're not going to see largely, I mean, you may see it some, but you're not going to see or hear people say, according to critical race theory, I believe that they're not going to intro that that way, all right? Just like anybody trying to sneak something in, it's going to be subterfuge, right? They're, They're going to bring it in in a different kind of package. So you need to know some of these other trigger words, some of these other words that should send up white flags. Uh, red flags. Just seeing if you're listening. All right. So words to define. One is whiteness. And that, 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 mean, that, is, that has nothing to do with your skin color. I know, weird, right? It is a set of privileges granted to white-skinned individuals and groups which is invisible to those privileged by it. Now, I just said it's not about skin color because it's not. Guess who often gets lumped into this? Asians, and oddly enough, Jews. Because, because many of them are successful in our culture. And, and so, whiteness, so they might actually be, there will be CRT theorists who will identify them with whiteness because they have benefited from whiteness, all right? From those white-skinned people who have created an oppressive system. All, and by the way, keep this in mind. The system is created specifically for the purpose of keeping everybody else oppressed. That's the argument. It is des- they say it is designed that way. That's how it's been created, intentionally to do this. So uh, anybody who's benefited from it. So there are certain Asian communities and people who would be Asian who might be called, I didn't put this on here, but the phrase that might be used for them, they're white adjacent. That's a term. To be white adjacent is not, that means you're, you're not white skinned. You probably have some other tint to you, all right? But you've benefited from whiteness. And so Jews will be labeled in this, which is how they don't pick up on the sick irony of, <laughs> uh, if any people group has known oppression and brutality, it has been Jewish people, right? And, and so, it, it's just bizarre that they would make this distinction. Uh, but if they have benefited, so for example, now the one way, by the way, you get out of whiteness, and we'll get to this, you can get out of this if you agree with critical race theory. I mean, you're, you're still part of the problem, and you always will be. You're like an alcoholic, you'll never get over it. And that's, and that's not intended to be like a sassy statement. It, it's like an alcoholic. You'll never get over the problem of your whiteness. Ever. For the rest of your life. You will deal with being a racist. Because of the, only because of the color of your skin. That's it. Because you benef- you've already benefited. Too late. I mean, you can join in the marches and you can join in the call for justice, whatever that may mean. It doesn't matter. Damage has been done. You've already benefited only because of the color of your skin. And, and so, you're, you, you're part of the problem. All right, so that, that is whiteness. So Jarvis Williams, professor at Southern Seminary, 
One aspect of whiteness was a way for Europeans who were different to homogenize themselves from these enslaved Africans. To, so th that sounds like academic speak. So this is from the Vody Bauckham book. Here's his summary of Jarvis's statement. White people created whiteness in order to oppress black people. We created it. We created it. It was on purpose. The idea of whiteness was not a thing until colonialization, until slavery. It was not a thing. We created it. European whites created it uh, as a way to keep enslaved Africans enslaved. Pastor, what's the proof of that? Stop asking the question. That's a white way to think. So this, this is where it gets really hard because no matter what you do, no matter what I say, no matter what I say on this topic, no matter the way I say it, which is why I'm not going to hold back anything on it, because I'm always going to be accused of racism of a type, because I refuse to believe and accept the narrative. It's, I refuse it. Well, Pat, Pastor, that's because you're a racist. No, I'm not. Well, see, there you go. As if that's the argument's over. It, it's clearly circular reasoning to the to the ultimate degree, but this, this is how it goes. All right, so following up on that, then there is white privilege, a series of unearned advantages that accrue to white people by virtue of their whiteness. You have not earned the position you have. Maybe some, maybe you've done some hard work, but it's not all hard work. You didn't pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You stepped on the backs of other people. You may not know you've done it, but you've done it. And so because of that, that, that means there is a latent kind of racism. So Matt Chandler, in a video talking about this, draws language straight out of critical race theory. He's not using CRT. He's not talking about Kimberly Crenshaw or Delgado or these names that are associated with it. He didn't mention Marxism or Frankfurt School. He's not talking about any of that, but he does say... He has a kind of invisible toolkit that I can reach in there at any given moment and have this kind of privilege that a lot of other brothers and sisters don't have. Now, don't misunderstand this. Do, are there certain privileges I've in, that, that, that perhaps I have benefited from? Well, maybe that might be the case. But that's not an argument. That for sure doesn't mean that the system itself is inherently racist because... Even if there were white people created it, and those white people were racist, systems can't be racist. Because they can't be anything. Because they're systems. Now, can they be created by racist people? Well, sure, that's possible. Absolutely, it's possible. But what Matt Chandler is saying is, I've got a way of succeeding that is inaccessible. And until I admit that, I've got to admit it, acknowledge then my complicity in these circumstances. Until I do that, not ready to move on. Not, not ready. Uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to be able then to move beyond what is my privilege. I'll never get over my white guilt and will live forever then in my whiteness. And this is what Matt Chandler is getting at. I've got to realize I have a privilege associated with my whiteness, and that puts me in a position of superiority. Listen to me. I know he's not using all these words, but this is what this means. This is what CRT is then teaching. So I have engaged in racist activity because of it. This is what CRT teaches. All right? 
So the next word, there's two options for pronunciation here, by the way. Hegemony or hegemony. It's whichever one seems best to you. Both of them sound weird. All right? To me, it's just a weird word. Uh, but the, 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 but you can, you can I, I've heard it by very smart people pronounced both ways. All right, so uh, hegemony, hegemony. This, just, this is talking about the dominance one particular group of people has over another and, and, and how they are working hard to ensure their social dominance. This, this often comes from feminist studies. So men are responsible for maintaining hegemony, meaning we put systems in place that ensure we remain dominant um, while, while all other groups, and in particular females, would remain subservient. So this is what hegemony, hegemony, this is what it is talking about. It's a buzzword that you will hear all the time. And so what will be talked about is the need to break down hegemonic power, uh, hegemonic sources, hegemonic influences. That, that's the language that you're going to hear. And so when you hear that, just know, let, let, let the bell go off. This is CRT. This is critical race theory talking, all right? No, uh, the next one, systemic racism. Just mentioned that, the idea that structures and institutions of society, they are in and of themselves inherently racist, designed to restrict access by people of color. So, so, pe- so the system itself is designed to keep them down. So what does this mean? As far as CRT is concerned, by the way, what does this mean needs to happen to the system? Anybody? You've got to tear it down. Can anybody think of the most prominent example of ways this has happened over the last year in our country? The police. Straight out of the CRT playbook. Straight out of it. Make it look like the narrative is vast majority of police brutality is directed at African American or people of color. That statistic is not true, by the way. But again... Here I go with my whiteness talking statistics. Can't do that. Doesn't matter. What matters is George, George Floyd's story. What matters is Marshall Aubrey's story. That's what matters. Their story. That's what drives the narrative. Vody Balkum does a great job beating to death the, all of these numbers, by the way. I'll let him do it, all right? I'll, I'll let an African-American who actually now lives in Africa, who's also like a jiu-jitsu master. All right, I'll let him tell you, um, rather than just the, the white guy who plays golf riding the cart. All right, so I'll let him do all that, because he does it a lot better. But I'm, I'm telling you, what you hear, this idea that it's, it, it's significantly more likely that uh, African-Americans will face, based on the numbers, police brutality... So if that, if that is in fact the case, did you know 96% of all acts of police brutality are inflicted on men? 96%. So why are you women so oppressive? Right? It's inflicted on men. Why is no one standing up? No, why is no one saying, boy, men just want a man. So I could tweet like LeBron James. It is dangerous to be a man in our country, Right? If we just want to base it on that, if we just want to base it on that, it's funny, CRT will use numbers when they think those numbers support them. But if I start bringing up numbers, they'll accuse me of using white Western ideas to prove my point. That's what they'll say, all right? So, you, so I, I wouldn't even bother, by the way, getting into arguments with them. My, my intent here is just to let you know what's going on. So systemic racism is just that. You've got to tear it down. So they've built the narrative 
police are aggressively and statistically significantly engaging in violence against people of color, so we have to tear the system down. Defund the police. You're wondering where this came from. Listen to me. It did not come from the people who were running wild in the streets of Seattle a year ago. It came from academics. It came from intellectuals. And it started 30 years ago. Do you think that's the first time that idea has ever been floated? Do you know Kimberly Crenshaw has been talking about it for more than two decades? You didn't see this dramatic change in American history. You saw the last step. That's what you've seen over the last year. The last step. It's not all of a sudden. It's been happening. It's been slow. Waiting for the right moment. And they found the right moment. All right? The next one is anti-racist. This is an important term. You'll hear this a lot. To be an anti-racist, it's not enough to just not be racist. You have to be anti-racist. That means you have to be actively, fully engaged in fighting for the oppressed class in a way that's consistent with the principles of critical race theory. That's what it means to be anti-racist. All right? And then a final word, and that is the idea of binary. That that this is a binary uh, approach to society. Uh, Again, there are oppressed people and oppressors. Now, as kind of I mentioned last time, there may be some places where where people intersect (coughs) at more than one place of oppression. So the classic example would be the black woman who's a lesbian. Uh, So that individual is, is three times oppressed. There's three levels of oppression. That's intersectionality three levels of oppression, but still, society is divided into these two classes. You're one, one or the other. You are one or the other. That's it. There's no middle ground. You're one or the other. You're either oppressed or you're oppressor or supporting oppressor. You're either against the, the, the hegemony or you're fighting in favor of it. You're either a racist or you're an anti-racist. Everything is dual. Everything is just... just Everything is then labeled according to these two options, all right? All right, any questions about those definitions? These words that you may hear as you're reading the newspaper, watching the news? Oh, yeah, yeah, there's no doubt. It's starting very early, starting with kids, especially, um, you know, there, there's going to be an emphasis placed on children who are white. That is for sure going to be the case to make sure they understand the system that they were born into, that they've, their parents then have helped support. Now, it's also important to know then what this means. If I'm not, the, the other dichotomy, if I'm not an anti-racist, I am a white supremacist. So that's really clever the way they use that term. Because what does everybody think when you think of white supremacists? Right? The skinhead, right. The neo-Nazi skinhead and the fatigue listening to heavy metal and 
you know, going in and shooting places up. I mean, that's what they think of, right? The KKK, I mean, this, this is the imagery that comes up. So they're, they're really clever to use this kind of language because it's so charged. Uh, but that is, that is the argument then. If you're not anti-racist, you are white supremacist. Uh, ra- rather, rather than the, what, we, what we would identify truly as, as, as white supremacy. So, Sid, do you have a question? Yeah, yeah, for for sure. This is this comes out um, for sure in in uh, his, histor- historians. Critical race theory is is all over mod- modern uh, ways of looking at and writing about history, and and it, it's revisionism in many cases. It's going back and retelling the story then through this lens of critical race theory, but which inevitably is what happens with any of these kind of social theories, then we want to go back and we now want to read everything that we thought was the case about how history was working, and then re-read it through this new lens that's been given to us to help us see uh, the way things really are. So yeah, that's, that's true. It's going, to be, it's going to be rife with it. All right, so let me, let me give you then a, just a brief critique here. Um, the best critique, this is not coming straight out of Vody's book, uh, though some of these elements are there. But just to identify then why this is such a problem, why we've got to avoid it at all costs, why we should fight against it in the SBC. Number one, first and foremost, right at the top, the first two are at, at one and two for a reason. It functions as a religion. It functions as a religion. It is a worldview. It has their own form of faith. It has their own sacred documents. They functionally have priests and pastors. Uh, they, they, they have sacramental ways of living and acting. In other words, things like, you know, you and I uh, having baptism or the Lord's Supper, even things like coming to church, that they have elements that would mirror that. They're, they're, everything about CRT functions as a religion, and I would then even add this, as a cult. It has all the hallmarks of it with the exception of just one person in charge of it all who's going to feed them all Kool-Aid, all right? Though I would argue they've been fed philosophical Kool-Aid, all right? Uh, so, that's, you know, so they're not waiting for spaceships to pass by Halley's Comet, all right? So they're not going to go kill themselves, but it's still functioning very cultically. And, and they do use what I would consider to be brainwashing techniques, and it's happening in our universities all across the country. That's where, that's where it's happening. So it does function uh, as a religion. They even have an idea of salvation. Uh, they have an idea of original sin. That original sin is going to be racism, all right? 
uh, and um, slavery in particular. So they do have ideas of this. So I say that because what's going to come out of SBC sources is we're only using CRT, and this is the term, as an analytical tool. It's, it's helping us, un, it's just describing the ways there could be, you know, points at which uh, it helps us understand human activity better. No, it does not. I mean, by that argumentation, we should be studying Hinduism, we should be studying um, Islam, we should be studying New Age, we should be studying whatever other wacky, crazy things out there, because it functions the same way. Number two, it degrades the sufficiency of Scripture. It degrades the sufficiency of Scripture. It suggests, I cannot know the Bible. The Bible is insufficient to instruct me on these matters. They're not going to say it this way, but this is what it does. John O, I don't spell his whole name. His name is John Oakenchawa, I believe was his name. This is heartbreaking that he's one of the people leading this charge. Beck and I, four years ago, when we went on sabbatical, we, we went to his church. He gave a phenomenal sermon on Psalm 1. Two years ago, uh, he preached at the, the, the pastor's conference, preached a great passage, message from Philippians. He's all in. He's left the convention after receiving North American Mission Board money to start his church. I don't know if he's paid it back or not, but he did. Received a lot to start his church, to pay his salary. So here's what he said on a podcast. Unless you had science, the Bible would not make sense. Which is utterly ridiculous. Right off the bat. So, how how did Martin Luther ever understand? I don't know. I don't know. How did he ever understand? Um... There are a lot of guys who wrote 500 years ago, some of the church fathers writing 1,500 years ago, who were way better writers on theology than a lot of pastors today, all right? And yet, they'd never even heard of some of the scientific things that he would be talking about. What what do you mean, unless I had science, the Bible would not make sense? It's just a dumb statement. All right. So then he goes on to say, so without archaeology, the Bible would not make sense. Uh, So what he's doing is he's pointing out the other elements in the world that we use to help us understand the Bible. And so he does all that then to make the point. He says, so we need the social sciences. If we use science, if we use history, if we use archaeology, he even makes the bizarre comparison if pastors are using commentaries and Greek resources to help them understand the Bible. I mean, so what's the difference? (laughs) I didn't even know we had to define the difference. I didn't even know there'd be a reason to define the difference. I think we all know the difference. I do not need critical race theory in any part. You do not need critical race theory in any part. There's not even a sentence out of the theory or anybody who's written about it or any fool of a Southern Baptist who is supporting it that will help you understand the Bible better. Do you hear me, church? You don't need any of it. None of it. There's one person who needs it, the devil, and he's using it really well. It is a tool of Satan to kill people's hearts and minds. Is that clear enough? All right. This is what it is. It is devastatingly dangerous. And and there have been people in the SBC 
There have been a couple of African-American voices over the last couple of weeks that have said, if the convention stands up and denounces CRT, then we're leaving. Good riddance. I'm not going to be bullied. I'm not going to be bullied because they think I'm a racist, because I disagree with CRT. I do think racism is a sin. Real racism is absolutely a sin. I've already established that. I've already said that. It absolutely is. There's a lot of ways that it might come out in people's hearts and lives. Undoubtedly, there are all kinds of racists out there. There's no doubt. This is not denying the presence of racism or racists or ungodly things happening to people of color. But in terms of a system to help me understand things, no, I do not need it. It doesn't help me understand. It is a direct attack on the sufficiency of Scripture. All right? Number three, it has a Gnostic approach to knowledge. What that means is Gnostics were those, and it's a heresy that goes way back even to the just beyond the time of the New Testament. Gnosticism was this idea that people, there were certain people who had special privileged knowledge. They had insight, spiritual understanding that not everybody else had. And you needed them so that to know what they know. So to have a to be a Gnostic is to have a special place where you get access to information nobody has. What they will argue, critical race theory will argue that the lived experiences of oppressed people give them special access to truth. Now, to be sure, it gives them access to their oppression. But beyond that, then their story and their truth gets elevated because they now have access to knowledge that is unavailable to the rest of us. We do not have access to this knowledge. That's why we need to hear their story. We need to hear the story of oppressed people. It, go, it, it deals somewhat with what John O. is saying in the, first, in the previous point. We need access to their story. And here's how it comes up in evangelicalism. In order to understand the Bible, in particular to understand parts of the Bible that deal with people who've been oppressed, I need to hear oppressed people. I can't understand these parts of the Bible without hearing their story. I need to hear how they interpret this so that I can understand it better. This next statement's heartbreaking to me. Because I will say, I I have loved Dr. Danny Aiken. He's preached in this pulpit. I've been in his classes. I'm still holding out the best for him, I think he's being deluded and manipulated. That's what I think. Because I've heard him preach. Some of you have heard him preach. You've heard him preach right there. Right. And so he's on, he's on a video for the Ethics and Religious Liberties Commission. And what he's talking about, the term's not used, but what he's talking about is what's called standpoint epistemology. And it's this idea that truth depends on one's point of view. So for me to really get to truth, I need to understand the standpoint, the position of people in oppression. So here's what he says. I will say something like this. Danny Aiken cannot help the fact that he comes to the Bible as a white male married who comes from the deep south who has rock-solid convictions and commitments about the supernatural worldview, about the inerrancy and infallibility of the Bible, and who is committed to orthodox Christianity. So he, he can't help the position that he's coming from. He's coming from that position. So he's already used a lot of buzzword language here. 
And then after stating emphatically, he believes in inerrancy, infallibility, and sufficiency. So I do want to make that clear. He states it emphatically. He, he rattles off a number of, um, of confessions, Danvers' statement on the Bible, Baptist faith and message, abstracts of principles, New Hampshire confession. You may not know what any of those are, but what, what, they're all, what all of those do is, is affirm the inerrancy, infallibility, and sufficiency of Scripture. All right. But then he goes on to say this. I suspect that I read the Bible differently than, say, a lesbian woman of different ethnicity who lives up in the Northwest and is committed to a pantheistic worldview way of thinking. You think? You, you think? Yes. You absolutely are reading the Bible differently than a woman who, who is dead in her trespasses and sin and therefore unable to rightly handle the Bible. Now, so, so here's, here's what's frustrating. So, okay, so he goes on to say, all right, a- Aiken then said this. Uh, uh, he concludes, none of that has anything to do with critical theory or intersectionality or cultural Marxism. And I just, I, you know, this is why I want to give him the benefit of the doubt that somehow he's been misled because all of that has to do with that. All of it does. Whether he intends for it to or not, it does. He says it simply has to do with the recognition that when it comes to the interpretive process, yes, there's an author, yes, there's a text, and there's also a reader, and readers do come to the text with certain ways of already thinking. All right, by the way, I agree with that. That is absolutely right. And even even you and I will have some oddities as we come to the text and read, right? Right? But here's why I think this is disingenuous and or, and or misleading. Because you and I reading it a little bit differently is not the same as a lesbian woman living in the Northeast who's a pagan. This is not the same thing. This is not comparing apples to apples. Yes, when you and I sit around in a Bible study, if we're studying a book like 1 Peter or the Gospel of John, that's what makes some of these Bible studies interesting, right? What would be, a, what would be you know, maybe a nuanced perspective, an understanding of some of these things? Yes, I come to the text as a reader that is influenced by the world in which I live. There's no doubt about that. But the assumption is, the assumption is because of that, somehow I am incapable of fully understanding the text as God intended for the text to be understood. See, this is the problem with this statement. He doesn't state this directly, but this is the end game here. I then need the voices of other people. So you have professors in Southern Baptist seminaries who are then telling me things like, I need to go over the course of the next year and not read another white commentator. For the next year, I need to find commentators of color and only, and only read those, and only read those commentaries for the next year so, so that I can understand the standpoint because I can't get to the text. I can't get to the text without the input of the oppressed. So this, this is um, s- s- serious and heartbreaking <laughs> and um, this kind of idea. This elevates the knowledge of those in position who are part of the oppressed class. They then have access to knowledge you don't have access to and you cannot make decisions on truth unless you have access then to their story, which means you've got to hear their story, which means you've got to give room for their story. Have you ever heard this kind of language? We need to give room to the stories of these people. This is the language you'll hear. It's all trigger words, so be on the lookout for it, all right? The next one, this will promote racism in in reverse. 
Because now it puts the oppressed in a position of moral superiority. Critical race theory does this. I'm not suggesting everybody who argues for some of these things is doing this. I mean critical race theory is going to do this. It is, it is, it's going to perpetuate. It's just going to, and what I mean is based on the theory itself, it consumes itself. Because is it possible, according to critical race theory, for oppressor and oppressed, oppressor to come down, oppressed to come up, and we all just be equal? That's not an option. That's not an option. What, so if everything's left to go to its end, then the tables just get turned. And, and this, this, you know, it's once those who are oppressed are lifted out of the oppression, what keeps them from being oppressors? You do know Hitler would have identified with being a part of an oppressed group. That was his rhetoric. Same thing would have been for Lenin. That was his rhetoric. They, they were part of the oppressed worker class. And they, 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 they needed to reverse that. And what did they do? Once they got power, it became brutal. I'm not saying every, every person who would, would, would do that, but it, it does end up creating kind of this reverse form of racism and all of it being based on nothing but the color of somebody's skin. So it, it's, it does promote this in reverse. Sid? Yeah, yeah, yes, right, yeah, the Apostle Paul is definitely a, a really good voice uh, to read, yes, I would commend his story, yes, if you're interested in stories, I would commend the Gospels, um, that's a good one, um, uh, you know, there was another guy who was oppressed by the powers that be, um, Jesus, that's right, uh, his name escaped me for a minute, yeah, so those are, those are better stories, uh, undoubted, undoubtedly to read. Uh, the other issue here then is it misunderstands human depravity. Um, it, it assumes that, that there is something external, that, that depravity is a function of how we act instead of a function of who we are. Oppressed people, biblically, are just as wicked. Just because you don't have the opportunity to express your wickedness doesn't mean you're not dead in your trespasses and sin. There's no distinction, biblically speaking, between oppressed and oppressor as it pertains to human depravity. The Bible makes no such distinction. It makes no such distinction. That there's some kind of privileged position. There's some kind of elevated morality to those who are being oppressed. Now, that doesn't mean the Bible doesn't warn us about being oppressive to those who are vulnerable. It does. The Bible does speak about those things. Uh, and God is, is concerned about these things. However, wh- when it comes to the human condition, sin, sin is not the way we act toward one another. Sin is a condition of the heart. And this is why I'm convinced. Let, let, let's follow CRT to its, to its final end. There'll just be another group of people who will be oppressed. It's just going to flip the script. That's all it's going to do. Because people are wicked. People are wicked. You and me without Christ, utterly wicked, depraved, filthy, 
ugly-hearted people. Aren't you glad you came to church tonight? But, but this is why we love the gospel, right? This is why we love Christ, because He did for me what I could not do for myself, what I did not deserve, out of nothing but His own love and as a result of God's own grace. It is utterly ridiculous to me that we would allow ourselves to be distracted from the fundamental admission of the church, believing that these social justice issues then are the issues that are to be consumed with our focus, that these are equivalent to the gospel. They are not. They are not. Church, we have another mission, and that mission is far more important and so we need to stay focused on it. All right, so there are a couple other things I want to do. I know we've been going along on Sunday night, so we will here for a few more minutes, all right? So those links, if you've not had a chance to, to watch the Synodoc at founders.org, I would commend that to you. These other links, most of them are articles, so I'm going to go ahead and make this disclaimer. Just because it's on a blog site doesn't mean I agree with everything that that person has ever written about all things, all right? Okay, so don't come back to me and say you read 50 blogs from Capstone Report and he said this, this, and this. Okay, That's not, I'm not giving this to you so that you read everything they wrote, all right? I'm just saying these, these documents, uh, these um, sources will provide you with much more insight into what's going on in the SBC, examples of things I've been talking about. So that's why I find them helpful. I'm using this one in particular because of some of the websites I could give you uh, this one tends to be the least inflammatory. Um, some of them I would agree with, but man, they can get really harsh. And I don't necessarily um, disagree sometimes, but th- this is going to be a little bit more balanced and focused. The final one, I would encourage you to read the statement on social justice. This is a, this is a good one. This is also known as the Dallas Statement. All right, so it was signed off on by guys like Vody Bauckham and uh, guys like Vody Bauckham wrote it. He and Tom Askell and um, James White were a part of that. John MacArthur signed off on this. Um, Russell Moore would not sign it. Need I say more? All right, so no pun intended. All right, that just worked out. Um, so I would encourage you to read that. I think, I think you'll appreciate it. Now, one other thing I want to show you, then I'll field questions, especially about anything SBC-related. Um, resolution 9. This is the resolution that was passed in 2019 at the SBC. I I would say this is when things became really intense on this issue in the SBC. There were a couple other things before that. Um, There was what was called the MLK 50 conference, and that had some controversial things that came out of it. But this is when it really got hot and heated, when Resolution 9 was passed. I don't want to get into the, the weeds here, but as I've talked about with the SBC... Every year, the Resolutions Committee presents resolutions to the messengers, and messengers vote on them. These resolutions are mostly submitted by people all over the country, though some of them are crafted by the committee itself. But very often, they're getting resolutions submitted to them. They are then taking those resolutions. They're probably editing them to some degree or to a great degree, and then they're going to present them to the body. They're not going to present all the resolutions they get, I don't know, usually there's 14 or 15. I don't know if there's a set number they, have, they can't go above, but maybe that's just time-wise. And they could talk about anything. Resolutions talk about anything. Any social issue, cultural issue, church-related issue. You know, for, for example, um, I, I remember going to one in the midst of the Bill Clinton uh, administration, and, uh, and there was a guy from California, his name's Wiley Drake, uh, and uh, he was always a hoot because he's bringing crazy stuff. 
you know, the convention's like any family gathering. There's crazy uncles, all right? And they get on a microphone, and it makes it a lot of fun for the rest of us, but they tend to be crazy. So he wanted a resolution passed uh, where the convention resolved to encourage the church that Bill Clinton was a member of to uh, excommunicate him, all right? Uh, now, that didn't make it, and as much as I would, you know, would have voted for it, all right? So this is the kind of thing that comes up in resolutions. There have been resolutions, uh, you know, in support of school choice, uh, uh, against abortion, uh, in favor of uh, marriage, husband and wife. These are the kind of things. So there was a resolution presented to the committee denouncing critical race theory that got radically altered then presented to the, to the body, to the messengers, in rapid-like fashion. In fact, J.D. Greer, the president, tried to get resolutions 9 through 13 passed at one time so that this would not make it to the floor in discussion. That was shot down by the messengers. So we had to deal with them. I wasn't there, but you had to deal with them one at a time. So just to, let, just to show you how this was changed, this is what they've done. So this is going to be a major thing coming up um, over the next couple of days. So I've given you a point-by-point comparison, not of the entire document, just some that are interesting. These come from Vody Bauckham's book, all right? He, these come from him. The original motion, whereas the rhetoric of critical race theory and intersectionality found in some Southern Baptist institutions and leaders is causing unnecessary and unbiblical division among the body of Christ and is tarnishing the reputation of the SBC as a whole, inviting charges of theological liberalism, egalitarianism, and Marxism. So that was the opening statement. Here's how it got changed. Whereas concerns have been raised by some evangelicals over the use of frameworks such as critical race theory and intersectionality. Isn't that unbelievable? Whereas both critical race theory and intersectionality as ideologies have infiltrated some Southern Baptist churches and institutions, institutions funded by the cooperative program, this got changed. Whereas evangelical scholars who affirm the authority and sufficiency of Scripture have employed selective insights from critical race theory and intersectionality to understand multifaceted social dynamics. Here's another one. Whereas critical race theory and intersectionality are founded upon unbiblical presuppositions descended from Marxist theories and categories and therefore are inherently opposed to the Scriptures as the true center of Christian union. Two items here. Critical race theory is a set of analytical tools, wrong, that explain how race has and continues to function in society. It does so badly. And intersectionality is the study of how different personal characteristics overlap and inform one's experience. Whereas critical race theory and intersectionality alone are insufficient to diagnose and redress the root causes of the social ills that they identify which result from sin, yet these analytical tools can aid in evaluating a variety of human experiences. No, it cannot. None of that's right. It's not an analytical tool. It is a religion. It functions as a worldview. It functions as a philosophical system. And then finally, whereas critical race theory divides humanity into groups of oppressors and oppressed and is used to encourage biblical transcendent, transcendental truth claims to be considered suspect when communicated from groups labeled as oppressors, 
Whereas critical race theory and intersectionality have been appropriated by individuals with worldviews that are contrary to the Christian faith, resulting in ideologies and methods that contradict Scripture. Now, this one's really subtle, but I bring it out because you might read that and think, oh, what's the, what's the big deal? Critical race theory and intersectionality have been appropriated, have been appropriated by individuals with worldviews that are contrary to the Christian faith. No, 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 no. They have been created by. Is that not subtle? To say they've been appropriated. What does that make that sound like? Like critical race theory is this objective thing sitting over here, neither bad nor good. It's neutral. It's been used badly. No. It was created by people. By people who, by the way, if we had... Crenshaw and Delgado standing here and speaking to you. And if I were to turn and say, Miss Crenshaw, would you say that critical race theory is important because it helps free fundamentalist evangelical Christians like us from our dependence on the Bible? Dr. Gleason, absolutely. That's absolutely my intent for critical race theory. There's no doubt she would say that. There's no doubt she'd say, you are exactly right. It's design is not as an analytical tool. It is to undo the Judeo-Christian worldview. They say it, by the way. See, this is the thing that's always frustrating. They're honest. I mean, they're wrong, but they'll say exactly what they believe. But then you got people like this. you got a committee full of people. Some of them are pastors. Some of them are professors. Some of them are then just Smart folks like you who get bullied by people who can use big words. I'm convinced that's what happens. You should know, by the way, a lot of the SBC leaders who are in charge do not think very highly of you. I'm convinced they don't think you're very smart. I disagree. They don't think you can pick these things out. But here's what happened then in that SBC meeting. This got pushed And though there was some debate, it was limited. And so what what do Southern Baptists tend to do? Well, the committee said this, and well, none none of this original motion was seen by the messengers of the SBC. They didn't see the original motion. You get a book each day, actually you get a series of them. It's called, it's 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 the bulletin, and it it's, it's given before each session, and in it gives you the order of business, a, a synopsis of what happened the day before, and the resolutions appear in it. So that's what they saw. They, they got that, and they saw the resolution 9 as what's on the right-hand side of the page. They never saw the left hand. They never saw how it was changed. There were attempts to bring that to their attention, but that's how it got passed. Uh, I am convinced this week you will see a resolution on CRT and it, that denounces it, and and I feel pretty confident it's going to pass. I really do. I think there's just too many people who are going to show up to this thing. Too many messengers. And that to me is a good sign. That there's, there's going to be a resolution that will say just what this one says. It's already been written, by the way. Mike Stone um, has been part of a group that has crafted uh, a statement against CRT presented as a resolution. It's already been put out there in the public. So all of us messengers already know it's out there. Can't hide anything now. So they're in a real pickle, the resolutions committee is, because we know what resolutions they're getting. Whether they decide to present it or not, if they don't present it, they got a mess. If they present it and change it, they got a mess. If they present it as is, 
powers that be have got a mess because it'll pass, I think, as it, as it is. I think, I think it will pass with that many people, all right? All right, Whew. okay, so any lingering questions? Again, I know we're late. I know it's 10 after. Um, any ling- Bill, you said you had a question about the video. Hmm. Well, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe that's what they are. So, in other words, that the proponents of critical race theory don't want us to share the gospel because the gospel will do the real work in hearts of people, and therefore they won't then embrace critical race theory themselves. I mean, that would be insidious if that's in fact a stated. But, but there could there could be I, what what I do know I don't know I don't, I can't I really can't speak to whether or not that's what they would you know I can't speak to their intention right um, but um, but I, but I will tell you they will conflate the gospel and evangelism with fighting for social justice they will say it is a gospel this is the tagline it is a gospel issue to fight for social justice, to fight for inequality. The gospel requires us to do this. Which is odd to make that move. Um, since we're to make disciples of all, all people. <laughs> so, you know, it's just kind of an odd thing uh, that, that they would include that. You know, that can be easily debunked. Um, I, I don't recall ever in the book of Romans, and we went through it thoroughly. Maybe somebody would say, no, Pastor, we talked about how Paul told the church in Rome to fight against the injustice of the Roman Empire. I don't recall that coming up. Uh, it seems like that'd be a pretty good place to do it, right? They were pretty oppressive. In a lot of ways, they oppressed a lot of people. You know, in fact, the only book that comes close to it was a, was a guy who was a slave that Paul sent back to the owner. Now, I'm not suggesting that, that supports slavery. What I am suggesting is Paul never encourages this kind of, uh, of action. The only action he approves of that would oppose um, society and culture is that which preaches the gospel. What I mean is, yes, we should be willing to die for the sake of Christ crucified and resurrected, the message of the gospel. But nowhere in the Bible does it tell us that we've, that also along with proclaiming the gospel, we've got to at the same time fight for social justice issues. It's just not, that's just not a biblical option. I just don't find it. So, yes.
Oh, that, I, yeah, I mean, I think there probably is uh, some of that. The idea being for critical theories to take root in the United States requires a subtle Marxism because there, there are a lot of people who benefit then from the capitalism of the system we're in. So, you know, especially in that period of time where you had other countries dealing with the, the, the revolutions, ours did not. Um, fa- we did not face that. And in fact, people fleeing those nations came to ours, right? Because they would find prosperity. And so, yes, to, to utilize the tool of race as a means of trying to accomplish the same ends. Yes, I think you will find that in a lot of the material. An intentional move. We're not going to get them here on just pure economics, meaning worker class and, you know, ruling class. So instead, we've got to change the, the distinctions. So I, yeah, I think that's for sure the case. Dennis? There, there are. So let, let's, let's make that clear. Yes, there is, there is a presence of CRT in Southern Baptist seminaries. I would say it's going to be a minority, all right? I will say, in fact, it's going to be a significant one. It's also going to be really subtle in a lot of ways. So you kind of have to have your thinking cap on to discern how, how it is manifesting itself. But yes, there's no doubt. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so it, yeah, it, it for sure is then being used um, for uh, race training in in, uh, in in the the two largest school systems in our state. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Denny. Yeah. Just think it's the words critical race theory, because there are plenty of other ways they can state this without making it sound. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So the words, the buzzwords, and it's unfortunate. There are other buzzwords to listen for. Um, Of course, language like justice, equality, uh, diversity. These are going to be words that'll be used in in it. Equity will be used, that's right, making things equitable. To such a degree, this was amazing. Um, watching, I don't remember the last time I watched uh, a mainstream uh, evening news broadcast, but I did, Saturday night. Um, one thing I noticed right away is there was not one male reporter, all right? But that's my male whiteness talking, all right? So um, that's my male whiteness, misogynistic, chauvinistic, uh, problem, so I, so I see that. All right, uh, so you don't have to tell me about it. But the other thing, they were doing the story of Jeff Bezos, who's going to go up in space, right? So he's got a group of people going up in space, and there was one lady of color who made the comment: um, "Space travel needs to be equitable, diverse of uh, people of color." And so Beck and I were watching this, and we looked at each other, and Beck said, "So, so space is racist." Now, space itself, is, it, was so, it was such an odd context to hear it, to say, so we, we need to do this. 
because there's not enough people of color outside of the atmosphere, uh, which is just so odd. But that, but it does. That's how it shows up. We need equity. Equity. We're just we're just trying to be fair. We're just trying to trying to give everybody you know the same shot. We're trying to raise everybody up to the same level. Yeah. That's right. You got to look out for these other words. All right, I could talk about this for a while. So, but we won't be able to. Um, just to let you know, uh, for the next two Sundays, it will not be this. All right. So next Sunday we do not have. It's Father's Day. We'll not have evening services, uh, and uh, and then the Sunday after that it won't be a state of the SBC um, address. But we'll get back into this material, you know, at at some point in July. All right. Um, so let me pray for us and then we'll be, we'll be dismissed. Father God, we do thank you again for the gathering of your people on this Lord's Day. Uh, grateful for what you have done for us in the gospel. And Father, may we cling to that. May we cling to your word. May we trust your word and trust you by your spirit to do in us what needs to be done to make us the people you want us to be. And to, and to, to believe that that is sufficient. Those are sufficient resources to do this work. Father, we, we would want to be made aware of any ways in which we might express s- sinful attitudes toward others. So Father, make us aware of that. And Father, also help us to be strong and courageous in the face of what's going to be ongoing opposition to the people of God. God, give us wisdom and give us understanding. Help us to hear, help us to see, so we'll not be taken advantage of, we'll not be led astray. And again, just help us to be faithful to your call to share the gospel and make disciples of all nations. That's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.